All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. You know, every time I get up here to preach, I feel like it's been a long time. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say anything else. I'm really I'm really glad to be up here. Bless you uh, to preach the word of God. First Kings 17. Verses eight to 16. Can you turn me down in the monitors a bit? Thank you. First Kings 17, eight to 16. Today, I want to talk to you on the topic Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Before we read the passage of scripture, tell your neighbor, hey, you got nothing to lose. Turn to the person on the other side, say, hey, you you really got nothing to lose. <laughs> Some of y'all saying it with a little bit more umph than the others. Like, hey, you, you got nothing to lose. I know you. <laughs> You know, what I want you to get today and what I feel like God wants to communicate to us today is that the most rational thing you can do in your life is trust God. The most rational thing you can do is to trust God, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, to lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. The most rational thing that we can do is to trust God. And I believe that God wants to take each and every one of us as we're coming to the end of 2014 and we're starting to pivot and turn towards 2015. I believe that God wants to take you and I to new levels, that he wants to do amazing things in our life. He wants to take us beyond the stagnancy. Uh, Our brother Isaac was leading at our Sunday pre-service prayer meeting. He was talking about plateauing. He's talking about when he works out, you know, because he's, he's a buff guy. And so when he works out, he hits a moment where he's uh, he plateaus. He can't lift anymore. And it's like he just gets so upset because he's right there at that level. And he has to stop and think about how can he burst through that plateau? I think many of you have plateaued, but God wants to take you beyond. He wants to take you beyond. But what you need to understand is that you have to trust God. And in fact, The most rational thing you can do is trust God, even to a degree that other people may deem irrational. Because sometimes God will call you to trust him. And everyone else is thinking that's crazy. In fact, sometimes God will call you to trust him. He will call you to trust him in a way in which you will think he's crazy. You will think it's crazy. But the most rational thing you can do is to trust him. In this story, this is a crazy story where we see someone being called to trust God in a way that is unbelievably irrational to us. But for her, it was the most rational thing she could do. Let's look at first Kings 17, eight to 16. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. We're talking about Elijah saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. That's a ridiculous statement. I'll talk about that later. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. 
and he called to her and said, yo, sorry, it's Marcus translation. Bring me a little water in that vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, hey, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, check it out. Check it out, Elijah. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. That we may eat it and die. Die, die, die. (laughs) You can hear it, right? It's just, die, die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. (laughs) Go make that cake and die. That's pretty much what he said. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, Make something for yourself and your son. For thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Sanctify us by your word, for your word is truth. Remove, God, the false mindsets, the fears, the things that hinder us from trusting you today, God. And, Lord, would you enable us, God, to see, Lord, that we have nothing to lose. Lord, I pray that you would remove fear. And you would release a revelation of your love, your kindness, your faithfulness in this place. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to move in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a crazy story, right? I mean, what we find here, I'll give you some context. So before, in chapter 17, what we see is this is where Elijah the prophet finally shows up. Now, for those of us who come from a Christian background, you've probably heard of Elijah. Elijah He is one of the prophets. He's a well-known prophet. He's a prophet that has so much like he's taken up in a whirlwind, you know, later on in his life. We don't even see Elijah die. He just goes on up, you know, and he's done all these miracles, all these different things. And this is the chapter where Elijah comes on the scene. So a paragraph before a paragraph before this story, we see that Elijah shows up. And it doesn't give us any backstory. It doesn't tell us that Elijah was this amazing man of God. It just says Elijah showed up and then he prophesies into the land and he says that there will be no more rain. And there's no more rain. Like when he prophesies it, when he speaks it out, there's a drought. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and he says to Elijah, I want you check it out. Look in your Bibles. He says, depart from here and hide yourself by the brook. On the east of the Jordan. Drink from the brook. Okay, that sounds pretty rational, right? And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Think about that for a moment. Think about if God said, listen, I want you to move out. Like, where's the middle of nowhere? Like, move out to, actually, I don't want to say who I was thinking because insult half of you. Um, um, I'm trying to. 
Like every city that I'm thinking of, like I know someone in this congregation lives there. Okay, move out to Song Incheon. No, Songdo. No, Wanju. Okay, just move out to the middle of nowhere. You get my point, right? Imagine if God told you to move out to the middle of nowhere and, and I'm going to feed you by birds. Now, first off, this is weird because God's saying, I'm going to feed you by birds. Because birds, they feed their young by regurgitation. Like, I'd be like, God, hold on, pause, chill. <laughs> I am not doing that with a bird. But he sends Elijah out and Elijah gets fed by these birds, right? It's completely ridiculous. It's completely crazy. And it says in verse six, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. Like just, just coming in. I don't think ravens make that noise, but if you've been at our church, you know that that is the universal sound I make for birds, like pigeons, doves, crows, they all make the same sound. Like, so the ravens come and they bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening like ravens are bringing him sandwiches and he drinks from the brook and he eats and he drinks from the brook until the brook dries up which is a sign to us that the drought came true so now he's got no more food he's got nothing right and so you can tell probably elijah has a lot of faith but then god comes to elijah and he says check it out now i want you to go to this city that's outside of israel and i want you to go to this widow and this widow will feed you. Well, he goes, he's like, all right, cool. So he goes to the city of Zarephath and then he goes to this widow and he's like, hey, bring me some water that I may drink. He's asking for water in a drought. Bring me some bread that I may eat. Now, I want to tell you a, a few, give you some information about widows during this time. Widows during this time were the lowest in society. Widows at this time in society, they were the ones who, because their husbands had died, in that context, your husband was the primary breadwinner. He was the one who brought in your provision. He provided your shelter. He provided everything. He paid your bills, your telephone bills, your automobiles. He <laughs> was the one. And so your, your husband was the guy. And so if you lost your husband, you lost everything. If you lost your husband, if your, your husband died, like if he was hit by a carriage or he got disease or something like something happened to your husband, you were really bad off. And in Israel during that time, what we would have was because God was a merciful God and he loved the widows and the orphans, he loved the most vulnerable in society. What would happen usually to the widows if they were not protected is that they would be put into sex slavery. They would be they would be taken advantage of. They would so many bad things would happen to widows. So when God institutes the Sabbath, he tells the people of Israel, don't, you know, abstain from your land, abstain from your crops. And therefore, the widows and the foreigners in your society can then come in and take and eat and they can be provided for. But this widow is different. She's poor, but she's not living in Israel, which means that she doesn't really have anyone providing for her. So she has, she's probably just living off of what she can scrounge together. And she's probably living, off, she's most likely just living on what her, what her husband left her. And so you have this widow, but not only is she a widow, which means she's the poorest of the poor. And not only does she not have the luxury of the Sabbath, but then she's also got a son, right? We see in the story, she's got a son, which means she has another mouth to feed. 
And then not only that, but it's a drought. So understanding her situation, she was most likely, this widow was most likely in starvation, malnutrition. She was probably, um, she had probably lost weight. She was probably, even as she says, I'm going to make this last meal. She was on her last meal and she was about to die. And God says, I want you to go to that woman. Doesn't that sound like completely irrational? Doesn't that sound completely wrong? I mean, imagine if God spoke to you and said, I want you to go to someone who's living on the street and ask them for their clothes. Imagine if you, after this service, you saw me walking out and I go and I go to someone on the street and I take their clothes. You would judge me, right? You'd be like, Pastor Marcus, how could you do that? How heartless are you? You, you, you wretched man. Right. No, no. We would think that if God wants to do something in someone's life, he would go. He would send Elijah there and Elijah would already have food. He would have the bread and the meat together. He would have those sandwiches that he saved up from the ravens and he would go to the widow and say, hey, let's have a little banquet. Let's eat together. But God doesn't do that. Instead, God sends Elijah to this woman. And you know why God does that? He does it because he's wanting to target. He's wanting to bless her. See, I want you to understand the way God thinks. God doesn't go after. We would think the most rational thing in that situation is to send Elijah to the wealthiest man in the city, right? Like, if you need clothes, then just go to Bill Gates. You need money, just go to Bill Gates. You need food, just go to, I don't know who owns McDonald's. I was about to say Ronald McDonald. Right. We would think we would think that if the man of God needs something not to go to the poor. But instead for him to go to the rich, go to the wealthy, go to those who have. Why would God ever go to someone who has not? But what we need to understand is that when you look in the Bible, God often targets those who don't have. God often targets those who seem like they've lost everything. God often targets those who are on the outskirts of society. Example, Moses. Moses is a murderer. He's on the run from Pharaoh. He is a shepherd. A shepherd is the least. It is the worst job. I know many of you, when you read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But, you know, if you know your, your biblical history, you know the history of shepherds. Shepherds were despised. But God instead chooses to go to Moses. Joseph. We love the story of Joseph because Joseph becomes prime minister. Joseph gets lifted up. But Joseph was an accused rapist. Joseph was a slave. We know the end of the story. So we use the end of the story to reinterpret the, the beginning of the story. What am I getting at? The woman, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, she was probably a prostitute. She was well known around the town. No one liked her. That's why she went to the well in the middle of the day. But Jesus makes a decision to go to the well in the middle of the day. Why? What am I getting at? In getting at the fact that it doesn't matter what you think holds you back. God still looks at you and he sees you. See, many of us, we immediately disqualify ourselves. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. But God goes to the woman who has nothing on her last meal and sends the prophet there. That's irrational. But that's the way God moves. 
And so he goes to this woman and he's like, hey, you know, she's outside the gate gathering sticks. I mean, like of all people to go to, he goes right up to her and he's like, hey, give me a drink. And she's, she's, you know, I'm pretty sure she's probably like, don't you see I'm gathering sticks? I'm really busy with my stick gathering. And he's like, hey, give me a drink. He's asking for a drink in a drought. Does that not seem weird to you? You decreed the drought, Elijah, and you're asking me for water? You ever have moments where God seems to ask you for something that seems completely irrational? This is what's happening right now. And then as she goes out to bring it, because she's she's going to go get, okay, I I got a little bit of water. I'll bring you some water. He says, hey, actually, I don't want I don't want just water. Gotcha. Give me some bread. Why would God target this woman? Why would God set her apart to feed this man of God? You know why? It's because whenever God wants to do something beyond our capacity to understand it, or whenever God wants to break out miraculously in our lives, whenever God wants to do anything that would show his sovereignty, show his power, show his grace, he often shows up to those who have no other option, who have, who have nothing at all. He oftentimes allows us to get put in situations where we have no other option. Because he wants us to trust him. So Elijah goes up to this woman. He asks her. And he says, hey, can you give me some bread? Can you give me some water? And then you know what she goes into? She goes into my. It's like a passive aggressive way of saying, no, Elijah, I can't help you. You know, what does she say? What is her response to his request? She says, verse 12. He he says to her, he says, hey, bring me a morsel of bread. And she says, well, as the Lord, your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. That we may eat it and die. It seems like from her perspective, this seems like a rational thing, right? Right. He's asking for her food. And he's like, and she's like, hey, listen, Elijah, actually, this is all I got. Let me just make this meal and go die. Can't, you know what she was saying? She was saying, just leave me alone, Elijah. Can't you see my situation is dire? Can't you see I have nothing? Can't you see that I'm at the bottom rung? You know, here's what I think she's really saying. If you get into her mind, I think she's saying, Elijah, haven't I lost enough? <laughs> just leave me alone and let me die. Haven't I lost enough? I'm a widow. I lost my husband. I'm about to lose my son. I'm about to lose my life. And now you're trying to take my last meal from me. Haven't I lost enough? And the interesting thing is that's many of our mentality in the body of Christ. When God comes up to us and he says, I want you to give. I want you to step out. I want you to take this step of faith. I want you to uh, go. We have a loss mentality. 
Meaning that when we hear God speaking and calling us forward or calling us into a certain situation, our mindset isn't, God, this is an opportunity for me to prosper. This is an opportunity for me to go higher. This is an opportunity for me to step up to another level. Our mindset is, God, what else do you want to take from me? God, you took this from me. You took that from me. God, haven't you seen how much I've given? How much haven't you seen how much I've sacrificed? God, why are you always taking, taking, taking? Haven't I lost enough? God, can you just leave me alone? So I can just steward my little bit that I have till it runs out and then I can die and be on my way. And we have a lost mentality towards God. God says, I want you to take that step of faith. And then we begin to recount all the times where we took a step of faith and maybe it didn't work out the way we wanted. God tells us to give and we begin to think of all the other times where God spoke to us and we didn't see it the way that we thought we should see it. You know, it was in some ways it was rational for her to tell to give Elijah an account of what she possessed, right? To count the cost. And we love that message. Count the cost. Count the cost. Count the cost. But sometimes you can get so wrapped up in counting the cost that you miss what God is trying to do. I can't do anything for you, Elijah. I've lost my husband. I've lost my source of income. I'm about to lose my son. I'm I'm about to lose my own life. I can't give you my last Meal, it's a lost mindset. And when you have a losing mindset, you feel like this woman is. You feel powerless to give, powerless to do anything, powerless to step out, powerless to take a step of faith because everything becomes about counting, counting the cost, counting this, counting that. And then our lives become a huge inventory of what God hasn't done rather than what God has done. Our lives and our mindset become huge inventories of what's been taken from us. It's a huge inventory of what we feel like in many ways has been stolen. It's like we're filing a police report against God. God, I can't do that. You remember this? You remember that? You remember this? You remember that? And I think that's why so many believers walk around feeling like they got robbed by God. So many of us, when we look back at our past, we feel like God robbed us. How do you know? How do you feel about your past? When you stop and think about your past, what do you think about? If you served in the body of Christ, if you served in the house of God, how do you, when you look back, how do you look at your service? Does it fill you with joy or bitterness? When you think about what you've given unto the Lord, does it fill you with joy or regret? Like, man, God, if I wouldn't have done this for you, man, I would have been able to do that. 
God, if I wouldn't have given this, man, I would have been able to do this. God, if I wouldn't. Not recognizing that that kind of mindset isn't a mindset that pleases God. You can always tell those who have a that kind of mentality towards God. When you define your past by a series of defeats, losses and trials. Rather than your past being a series of triumphs, blessings and breakthroughs. How do you define your past? But see, here's the thing. When that's your mindset. What happens is the moment that God begins to call you into what he's doing next or something that may stretch you or something that may cause you to exercise faith. We don't see it as an opportunity for God to bless us. Instead, we see it as just another thing being taken from us. This woman, she, she did not see this situation as God setting her up. Elijah shows up and she does not see it as God setting her up. She sees it as God trying to rob her. And for many of us, that's our mindset. But the tragedy of this kind of mindset is that it actually blocks you from receiving from God. Because even when you give, you're not actually giving in faith. Even when you serve, even when you step out, it's actually not happening in faith. Because the heart of the matter isn't joyful expectation, it's begrudging obedience. And think about it. If you think that God's, if you think that God is the kind of father that every time he steps into your life, he's trying to take something from you, how would you act each time he walks into the room? You know, see, I had a younger brother growing up. I still have him. (laughs) And his name's Rashad. And so, you know, being the older brother, right, I naturally have accumulated more stuff over time, right? And so I had my, like, I had my Nintendo 64. I had my pro wrestling little thing. Okay, I was into wrestling. I was in the South. That's what everyone's into. You know, I had my, don't judge me, I had, like, my, you know, I had like my cars, I had my Hot Wheels, I had my Hot Wheels that did the loop, you know. And then the moment my brother was born, every time he walked into the room, it was like, I felt like he had his eye on everything that I liked most. If I'm sitting in there playing Nintendo 64 and I got one controller because I hid the other one, you know. Okay, sin is real, but... You know, he walks into the room and the first thing, like, I'm like, I put the Hot Wheels, you know, the toy that after a while, when you get older, certain toys lose their luster, right? So you just kind of put that toy over by the door. So I'm like, when he walks into the room, he's going to see the Hot Wheels, not the Nintendo 64. So I can keep playing my game. But when he walks into the room, he doesn't see the Hot Wheels. He sees the Nintendo 64. And he always wants to take it and play. I've forgiven him. I just did it. (laughs) You know, the interesting thing, though, is many of us have that mindset. When God walks in the room, we'll put some things by the door. God, you can have this.
You can't really have this. And then when God walks in the room, we're like, oh, no, God's trying to take from me what I want the most. When God is a good father. And anytime he walks into the room and he asks you for anything, it's always because he wants to give you something better. But many of us, we have a lost mindset towards God. So we think that if God calls me to take this step of faith, it must be because he's trying to take something from me. When God's like, don't you see, I'm setting you up to take you to another level. When I call you to give, I'm not trying to take something from you. I'm trying to set you up to go to another level. See, what this woman didn't realize was that God had set her up. And God didn't call Elijah to go to this widow for Elijah. God called Elijah to go to this widow for the widow. Because God knew that what she was riding on was about to run out. You ever felt like that? Like your Christian walk? You started here and everything just seems to be riding out. Your anointing, your connection with God, your intimacy, it just feels like it's solely but surely just going through your hands and you don't have the same power you used to have. You don't have the same connection you used to have. And then that's when God will step up and say, I want you to take that step of faith. And we think that God is trying to set us up to fail, but God would never do that. It says that when we are tempted, we cannot say that God is tempting us. He is light. In him is no darkness at all. Which means that he is only doing it because he's trying to set you up for more. But what's your mindset? See, this woman's mindset was, I've lost too much. But God's mindset through Elijah was, hey, you got nothing to lose. You think you've lost too much. You think that you're at your end. When the truth of the matter is, the most rational thing you can do right now is take that step of faith. Like, what's the alternative for this widow? Continue and die? But many of us, we choose that. Take that step of faith, God, I don't know. And God's looking, he's like, do you know the alternative? The alternative is death. The alternative is your walk continuing to be stagnant. The alternative is you staying at the same place and staying at that same place of bitterness. But if you would just take that step. That's why Elijah came to her and said, give. Because if God wants to take you to the next level, he has to create the context for that miracle to happen. That's why when God wants to take you to greater levels of stewardship, he doesn't say go start a 401k. He says give an offering. When God wants you to go to greater levels of faith, he doesn't say just study your Bible. No, he says, hey, step on, step up on stage. Grab the mic. Pray for someone. Uh, I want to take you to greater levels of faith. Become a community group leader. Step up and, and, and pastor other people. Wait, what God? No, God, don't don't you know me? I only got this little bit. And God's like, if you would just step up, I got so much more to give you. When God wanted to take Joseph. And make him prime minister. 
he didn't have him enroll in a class on Egyptian government. He just didn't. What did he do? He had him in prison step out and interpret someone's dream. Joseph, stop thinking of yourself. I want you to think of these two people. Because that's how God operates. And it's the most rational decision. Would you be okay with the alternative? And check it out. And this is something that we have to understand, even with this woman. You know, Elijah says this to her. And then, you know, she gives him that sob story. Just let me go and die. And he says, hey, actually, first, make me a cake. You can go and do as you said, but I want you to give me something first. And then watch. What you thought was dead, I'm about to, God's about to bring to life. He says, the jar of flour will not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. God never wants you to run out. His desire is never for you to run dry. But you know what she had to do? She had to. What's the next verse? Verse 15. And she went and did as Elijah said. Something about what Elijah said to her shifted her heart. And it caused her to realize, you know what? I need to take this step of faith. But what you need to embrace today is that that was a risk for her. When she hears this, she's like, okay, man of God. Okay. All right. But she still had to go and actually make the bread. That was a risk. What if she brings it back? And Elijah's like, man, this is good. Good luck with that. It's a risk. But faith requires risk. You know, there's this quote. There's this quote by Erwin McManus. And he says, we all want miracles and then spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. We want miracles. But let me not get anywhere close to where a miracle could happen. (laughs) That's a that's a quote. That's quite a quote. That man of God. Let's read that again. We all want miracles. And then spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. And what he's saying in in that book, he's actually talking about in in the context of this, this quote, he's saying that God is trying to invite us into adventure. God's trying to invite you into a life of dynamic faith. It was a risk. Too many Christians have what. I call no risk guaranteed kind of faith. They take no risks and are guaranteed that nothing happens. But what God wants for you is for you to start taking steps. To trust him. You want to go to another level of stewardship? The most rational thing you can do in this moment is to trust God. 
you want to go to another level in your anointing, the most rational thing you can do is trust God and take that step of faith. If you want to experience more of God, the most rational thing you can do is not to sit there and do nothing, but it's to get up and begin to trust him and take steps. You got to exercise faith. And this is actually a manifestation of God's love towards us. See, God will allow us to be in the context in which miracles take place, but will require for us to exercise faith in order for it to happen. And it's actually because he loves us so much. He loves us enough in our desperate or stubborn or dry situation to require our participation for the breakthrough. Because he wants to look at it at the end of the day and be like, man, wasn't that so awesome? Man, wasn't it so awesome for you? You just took that little step of faith, but man, look what happened. He like wants to celebrate that with you. He wants to have that relationship. That's, that's a relationship. He wants to increase the trust in the relationship. Because you can't have a relationship with someone you don't trust. He wants to increase the love in the relationship. He wants to increase the amount by which you know that he is for you. But you don't know that from just constantly saying, you know, and if our God is for us, then who can? No, you know it when you start to step out and then you begin to see, whoa, God is for me. Whoa, God did give me that favor. Whoa, man, he is taking what I thought was a little and turning it into something great. This faith looks like something. That's what Pastor Joel talked about a few weeks ago. He said faith looks like something. And so what God wants to shift today is not that you've lost everything. But you've got nothing to lose. What steps today is he calling you to take? What things has he been impressing upon your heart? I want to tell you today the most rational thing you can do. Is to just trust him and do it. Let's pray.